What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Okay, so welcome to the first ever episode of For Your Amusement, a theme park podcast that aims to exhaustively evaluate the world's most popular theme park rides to determine if they are world class. I'm Ryan Bergara. And I'm Byron Marin. And for this episode's featured attraction, we'll hop on a wild low-key motive to the picnic spot to discuss Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. Uh, apologies for the many goofy... Uh, impressions that will have i actually have my goofy watch on today because i'm a child i forgot to mention up top this is in disneyland and walt disney world as i recall i think we rode this for the first time together right for my bachelor party. a little over a year ago yeah for your bachelor party as as bachelors do they take <laughs> yeah. their they take their silly friends over to disney world for a week <laughs> i took um, 10 of my friends to disney world for my bachelor party some of them not stoked and by some of them, I mean 90% of them not stoked. Not everyone's a theme park head, but I got to say, everyone collectively got off this ride pretty happy. Yeah, and we'll save, we're will we going to save some of that for first impressions because we don't, we don't want to jump the gun here. Let's jump into some history here. It all started with a mouse. 1928 Steamboat Willie. And kind of the rest is history. This becomes, you know, the big, this is the icon of Disney. Disney is not Disney without Mickey Mouse. That being said, it took over 60 years for Imagineering to finally get that green light going on a Mickey-based ride. That's true, we had never had a Mickey Mouse ride until now. This comes out in March of 2020 at Disney's Hollywood Studios, which is a pretty brutal time to open up Runaway Railway. I wasn't aware, did this ride open in, in Walt Disney World right before the pandemic then? Yeah, like beginning of March, 2020, it opened, which Holy shit. immediately after they had to shut it down, like everything Damn. shut down. And on top of this, it took place of the beloved Great Movie Ride. I did love the Great Movie which Ride was quite open a bit. From Disney Hollywood Studios opening in 1989, closed in 2017. So there's already some scrutiny. Some people were very skeptical. How did you feel about that, by the way? Because I, I, I was, I was skeptical. I love the Great Movie Ride. It's one of my favorite attractions in the entire Walt Disney World Resort. So I was a little sad. A big part of it probably also was the MGM contract going out. That's true. It's all MGM-based films. Although Disney's Hollywood Studios gets this attraction via subtracting the Great Movie Ride, Toontown at Disneyland in California gets to keep. Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin in Toontown, and they add this new attraction. They didn't take anything away. And they introduced it with a revamped Toontown as well, which I think really makes it feel more cohesive in the land because it's basically built for it. Not enough people were moving all the way to the back of the park to visit Toontown. Yeah. You had yeah. kind of a rather dated, still fun, but rather dated Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin, which is basically just a pretzel dark ride with a spinning element and then a little gadget go coaster. They needed an e-ticket back there to kind of spread that crowd. 
Yeah, because it's pretty far to the back. back into the park to yeah. make the trek all the way back there. I think I kept forgetting about it. Yeah, like it got to a point where it was like late at night. Like, oh, like do you want to go check out Toon? You go, and it's a it, it was a ghost town because they I would imagine wanted to put their best foot forward with this ride. They managed to hide a lot of fun Easter eggs in this ride. So I want to go through a couple of these, uh, some fun facts, if you will. I don't know why I have this first, but. <laughs> This ride features a little bird named Chuby. That's how you pronounce his name. It doesn't look like it's spelled that way. Uh, it's a little bird that's a cr- a created exclusively for Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. You can see him juggling at the end of the ride. It's cute, you know, I guess. A lot of people get to know Chuby really well when they stall at the end of the ride. They really do want you to know Chuby because they sell Chuby merch in the gift shop. Uh, I did not know that. And, and maybe well, maybe know. that's why that thing stalls at the end of the ride. Yeah, maybe it was a purposeful <laughs> stop. Come me at the gift shop <laughs> yeah mickey's back Come there on, pulling Ryan. the lever for the train make them buy that merch uh nothing can stop us now nothing can stop us now a catchy little tune made for the ride was co-written by emmy award-winning composer christopher willis and his wife elise christopher willis also composed the mickey mouse shorts but he also composed for veep and black mirror <laughs> i'm just imagining some imagineer watching black mirror and being like I think this guy knows Mickey Mouse. (laughs) Uh, This ride was made with 360-degree view in mind, uh, and different cars and seats will reveal different details, and that's just by virtue of it being a trackless vehicle. Uh, The ride also uses multi-plane flats with projections to create depth of field, much like Walt did, of course, with his camera when he used the multi-plane camera for animation, creating depth there. This next one's really good. The whistle for Goofy's train is actually from the first Mickey Mouse cartoon in 1928, which is, of course, Steamboat Willie. And speaking of sound effects, this ride features many created by Disney legend Jimmy McDonald for Disney shorts that were in the 30s. So a lot of those were retrofitted to be used in this ride. And even cooler, they also used Jimmy McDonald's old sound equipment to create new sound effects for this ride. So really trying to lean into the authenticity of what this is selling. You're going to do a Mickey ride. You're going to hold nothing back. You're right? going to do it right. You're going to do it right. The the whistle for that goofy train. Amazing. Uh, and now I'm going to think of that every time I, I hear that. Other than the fact that Goofy is clearly high, which is something that I can't, <laughs> I can't unsee. He's got those chlorine eyes. He's got a those. Bit. He's been swimming in a swimming pool for a long time, kind of eyes. There's a water treatment plant in the ride that is named Iworks and Uworks Waterworks, named after the first animator credited for sketching Mickey Mouse for the first time. Yep, and Ub Iworks and Disney co-directed Steamboat Willie, so it's very appropriate. There it is. There's a street sign in the opening to the finale scene that says Yen Sid Park which is a reference to an area in Walt Disney's backyard that he referred to by that name. Of course, Yen Sid is Disney backwards. And this area in Walt's backyard was home to Walt's little train. And of course, everyone knows Walt was obsessed with trains. Uh, There's also a great moving ride poster in the carnival scene that is, of course, an homage to the great movie ride that you mentioned earlier, uh, which was replaced by this ride in Walt Disney World. And there's also a mailbox in the uh, tornado in, in this ride that says there's no place like home which is another homage to the great movie ride and the Wizard of Oz scene. Apparently, there's a B storyline happening this entire ride. The A storyline is, of course, Mickey and Minnie, but there's a B storyline happening in the background. It's basically just Pluto being lost the entire time, trying to get back to Mickey and Minnie throughout the ride, if you look for him. Like, there's a part where he's swimming in, like, the, the sea area. You can see him in a window in the city, in the city scene. 
It's fun. This is actually the last performance as Minnie Mouse by Rusi Taylor, who passed shortly after her recording. Uh, she was Minnie's voice since 1986. You just had to get her swan song in. Uh, kudos to Miss Taylor, a legend. And in the pre-show hole in the screen effect, uh, you know, when the, the, the screen explodes and there's a hole that you walk through to get to the final cue area. That effect is created by the screen moving upwards to reveal the hole while the smoke that comes out kind of hides that movement. And as well as uh, there's a horizontal wall that moves. There's like a black kind of horizontal curtain wall that also moves at the same time, creating that amazing effect. That blew my mind the first time I saw it, by the way. My brother was thrilled by that. And, And if you know my brother, he's not thrilled by anything. There's apparently more hidden Mickeys in this ride than any other attraction. I feel like we'd be cheated if it if they didn't have. It's kind of weird to have hidden Mickey's in a ride when I'm looking at Mickey the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's on point. Why not? I don't know. It's I just don't like Ma- it. It's a Mickey Mouse ride. I have no reason. I just don't like it that much. Hell, there might even be a hidden Mickey in this recording for those of you who are watching the video version of this podcast. Which, by the way, there's video for this. That was a lot of fun facts. I, I think that I've got enough fun facts now to rewrite it 300 more times and good. Good. Still not catch them all. Let's move on to the current reputation of the ride today. How popular is it? What what are the wait times like? Where does it fit in the current landscape of the park and also just theme parks in general? How do you feel about it? Well, open in two locations across a span of a few years. Hollywood Studios, it opens to a 300-minute wait. That's its highest recorded wait time. 300 minutes? 300 minutes is its do some highest, quick math. That's five hours. Highest recorded wait time is 300 minutes. Oh, no, but get this. According to ThrillData.com, Disneyland's is 380 minutes. Oh, my God. That's six and a half hours, essentially. That being said, the average wait times for Hollywood Studios, 54 minutes. For Disneyland, 59 minutes. That's not bad. I don't think that's bad, considering what it started at. You know What I think. it started at, and if you actually kind of look at it recently, there's a lot of times in the day that it's around a 30-minute wait time. Okay. So it's, it's really leveled out, and yes, Hollywood Studios has a slightly shorter average wait time, but you have to keep in mind that it opened a couple years prior. That's true. So yeah, there's going to be more Ideally, especially with the amount of rides that Disneyland has, yeah. you're going to see that level out. I think ultimately Disneyland will have a lower average wait time. Now, uh, when it comes to reputation, you just kind of came off a galaxy's edge hangover. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it kind of just flew are, under- are we, are we not still in the galaxy's edge hangover right now? It feels well, like we, we are. We might be riding it a bit. Yeah, I mean, and like Rise of the Resistance is still a higher wait time usually than what this, you know- Yeah, we're, 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 look, we're not here to it. talk about galaxy's edge, but I mean, it just feels like everything is in now a post-galaxy's edge world, for better or for worse. But this attraction felt more like Oh, nice! We have this now, as opposed to like, oh, I like you know, to set, me- set your calendar. I need to be here at this month. That being said, clearly a lot of people did that. No, they they showed up. Um, and I will say, to me, Disneyland Resort in particular, getting this ride felt like the rich getting richer. Like this, this is a theme park resort that did not need another banger, and it got one. I know Bob Iger recently said that a way to increase revenue is to actually build more rides so then you could increase capacity for the park and then therefore sell more tickets. Look, I'm all for that line of thinking because, you know, you want to give me more rides. Perhaps we see some of that with Disneyland Ford coming up. It seems like a it seems like a win win. Um, And but yeah, this was 
it was already like a laughably stacked lineup at Disneyland. Everyone knew that like Disneyland had the most e-ticket rides. Yes. At any Disney park. So to get another e-ticket. Yes. An absolute banger like Mickey and Minnie without taking anything away in a part of the park that you usually never went to. It just it it added another level to everyone's day. It's, I I this may not be up to date. Night. <laughs> I did a goofy impression. <laughs> right there. This might not be up to date. But apparently, Disneyland Resort, just the two parks, has only four less rides than Walt Disney World's combined. Like all of the Walt Disney World Resort, all four of the parks. I think that might have changed now because of Tron, so it might be five less. But that's insane to think about. There's four parks at Walt Disney World, and Disneyland Resort still only five less rides, perhaps. Maybe four. Maybe oh, six. No, it's, it, you it's absolutely packed. It, it's it's stacked. It, there's more ride crammed into square footage than any other park. Mm, and with the exception of a couple of those Toy Story rides and maybe like Rock and Roll, like basically Hollywood Studios is like you could find nearly all those attractions at Disneyland. <laughs> in Disneyland and California Adventure. Yeah, the banger to walking ratio in Disneyland Resort is the highest I've ever seen. You, you don't have to look to find a banger in Disneyland. With that, let's move into first impressions. What did you think of this ride when we first got on it in our wacky Disney World bachelor party? We may or may not have been uh, in a different state when we got on this ride, perhaps had a couple margaritas uh, right outside the uh, the Chinese theater in, <laughs> in Hollywood Studios. Uh, but I don't think that played too much of a bearing on why we enjoyed this ride so much. Uh, but I'll let you go first on your first impressions. I think everyone in our group was very blind to it. Yes. Well, I, I certainly, going in, recall hearing a bunch of our guy friends. Because you have to remember, I'm going to reiterate this again. Byron and I are sickos. There's something wrong with our brains, as I imagine there's something wrong with your guys' brains, whoever is listening to this podcast. And I mean that as an absolute compliment because we're all little weirdos together. That being said, the remainder of my party, which was, again, nine other people or eight other people, Normal folk, you know, for the most part. Like, they enjoy theme parks. They're not trying to spend what amounted to about eight days in Disney World. I think your average non-theme park head is usually like, two days? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good, yeah. yeah. that's even like, you know. After two days, the normal person wants to put some road behind them and get away from the Walt Disney World Resort, where Byron and I, we're, we're fast, we're, we're, we're lightning-laning it, planning several steps ahead for the next day and perhaps the day after that making sure we got all the di- we're we're obsessed so uh i think we-, we i think we gave them a mercy day where we just sat by the pool <laughs> <laughs> yeah mercy <laughs> the rest of the party was not as thrilled uh about this ride because it seemed like a kitty ride it was mickey mouse which is like the most disney thing you could possibly do the good news was this it was our first ride of the entire trip what it was the first ride we went on the entire trip. That's not true, is it? Didn't we yeah. get Rise of the Resistance first? No, no, no. We did that later at night for the uh Oh my god, you're May right. The 4th. So luckily everyone was kind of had their energy. I will note that Shane Madey, who if you're familiar with the Watcher brand, which who which is who produces this podcast, uh he he was not here at that point because he came to the bachelor party later in the trip. So he actually, based on the reviews of the entire group, made time to go get on Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway by himself. But how did you feel about the ride? 
it was overwhelming, but in a very, very positive way. You're entering a film premiere. You're entering a screening for a Mickey Mouse cartoon. Yeah. So once that pre-show happened and, you know, the train explodes and you know, you're you able to enter through the screen, it, it just went zero to 100 so quick because like, oh my God, we're entering an actual cartoon. I didn't know what my expectations were going into it because I had purposefully not read too much about it. I tried to not read as much as I can on new rides so that I could experience them with a very blind eye. So I walked into this kind of skeptical. I was just, <laughs> I, I, I will admit I was... Doubtful of the motivations of creating a Mickey Mouse-centric attraction, it kind of felt like we got to keep this character alive for the younger crowd, we got to make a ride that interests the younger folk, the kids, so that they still recognize Mickey Mouse as an icon so that we could continue this Disney brand. But that didn't hurt this ride. It, it truly felt super imaginative, thrilling somehow. The whole time, I, I really was, you know knocked on the back of my seat. I really did enjoy the hell out of this ride. I remember that when I first got off, my little brother, who once again does not like anything, said, I think this is the best ride in the resort. He said it was better than Rise of the Resistance. <laughs> but I could see the argument now, I honestly. can see it, and this is kind of what I'm going to follow up with. It's the first attraction I've been on in, I mean, God, since I could remember, that you got off thinking, that's Disney. Yeah, yeah, that is like some pure, I mean, it's kind of corny, but that's pure Disney magic. There's some right terrific, there. impressive attractions, great storytelling, what have you. But to get to the root of it, it gives you that, that just that childlike sensation of, oh yeah, Mickey Mouse, like this is Disney. I am, that's I'm true. having a Disney experience. It's good to feel good about the big cheese again. Still got his fastball. Still got it. He still has the fastball. I love it. I think with that, let's go into the uh, good and the bad. What are the good? and the bad things about this ride. But before we do that, let's have a word from our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, we're back. You want to start with the good? I think we should start with the good. I'll let you choose, bad or good. Start with good. Great. Just because I'm actually like stalling a bit for like the bad. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, the good is it's an original story. Yeah. While holding the aesthetic of the classic Mickey cartoons. They did put in an exhaustive amount of work to make sure that the ride stayed faithful to those hand-drawn animations. In fact, I read that the paint job on the ride vehicles themselves was done in a specific technique to make the ride vehicles look hand-drawn. That's incredible. The, the ride vehicles themselves, the surprises that are held within that, I did not expect the ride vehicles to break apart like they do in this ride. I can't recall when it first happened. Just past the part where they're in the car, they accidentally knock a switch track. <laughs> that kind of broke my mind for a second because I truly was like, all right, let's get on this kiddie ride. It's a train. We're moving kind of slow. And then <laughs> when it broke apart, I was like, whoa, wait a second. What's going on here? And then they just treat you to beautiful scene after beautiful scene. Backtracking a little bit, I want to talk about that pre-show whole explosion. You had mentioned it earlier. This really does 
feel like you are stepping into the world of a cartoon. And quite literally, you do step into the world of a cartoon. You enter that hole, and from that point on, you're there. Every time I've been on this ride, there's at least one or two people in the room, in the pre-show room, that have not been on the ride, and they always are just like, whoa! There's a, a very vocal reaction to that whole moment. Very much a how did they do that moment. Exactly. I remember when I first walked through the hole being a nerd, I actually took a little extra time walking through, checking the edges of that that hole of like, what the, how the fuck did they do this? It's still, it, yeah, you look for it. It's still hard to find. One of my favorite lines in any pre-show is in this ride. It's Goofy hanging from the screen. <laughs> he's, and he's referring to, uh, anyone help me here with this Loki motive? Who all fix this here Loki motive? When he says Loki motive, I lost my mind. I thought it was the funniest it's thing on earth. Vintage Goofy. Loki motive is the funniest way to say that word. Uh, I love Goofy. He's my favorite Disney character by far. I love that he gets put in the spotlight. I know it's Mickey. He's on the marquee, whatever. Goofy, scene stealer. Always has been, always will be. And he proved it once again here. Still has that fastball as well. Uh, and I love that he's uh, conducting the show, which is also another moment I want to talk about. The first time that door opens on the, uh, what the fuck do you call the first car of a train? Is it called the, that's not the caboose, that's the back. What's the 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 front? Damn it. Whatever. The front of the train, the front car, when the back doors swing open and you see that goofy uh, conductor. <laughs> Welcome aboard, folks. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing physical comedy. He drops a bunch of shit, as Goofy does. Uh, once again, his eyes yellow like bright yellow i even i went on this ride with um i, I can't remember who recently but there was a family in front of me there was a, a a father and a mother sitting and their kids were in the row in front of them and the, i heard the father turn to the mother and just kind of like nudge her and go <laughs> what's going on with goofy's eyes it's all that coal exhaust you no know? <laughs> they knew what was going on i inhaling too much of that cartoon coal look imagineers are notorious for sneaking in some kind of That's, uh there's no sneaking there it's it's right there it loves some low level That's... some like kind of dirty humor you know we've seen that with like and maybe not dirty humor but dirtiness in general mm -hmm. we all heard the stories about the little mermaid and all that stuff but in this particular case i think it's funny that somewhere in the conception of this ride imagineers pointed to a board and were just like hey what if we made goofy high as hell Everyone knows he's high as hell. Let's just lean into it. The kids won't notice. The adults most certainly will. And most of the adults will probably be uh, behind themselves watching, uh, being on this ride. Not to say that I was or wasn't, but I got to say, love seeing my guy uh, conducting this train, doing a great job despite his best efforts. Um, Good. They just, they did a really good job with the projections. I've kind of been jaded recently with yeah. the amount of like when screens are used too much. I like big physical set pieces yeah and like you're saying how they created that sensation that like what a multi-plane camera would do yeah is incredible like having the 360 with the projections but having just enough practical like the the actual tornado in the middle of that room correct yeah i mean that's amazing i it's love the that mentality tornado. of doing screens properly i think i agree with you because i am tiring of the screens i will admit that um but I do think they do it quite well here. And I'm also a little on the fence on projection technology. And this is when you have like basically a mannequin figure, a mannequin animatronic, and then you project a face on it. I believe it's rear projection. Um, I'm a little on the fence. I remember seeing it for the first time on Snow White's Mine Train ride, but I do think this is the best version of it. 
in this ride. I think they do it better here than they do it anywhere else. Moving on here, I think all the scenes feel distinct and the transitions between those scenes are incredible. The biggest transition when you're in that like trash compactor scene. I don't know what the hell's going on there. It's like a factory. Oh, when it when it turns back into the park. And it turns into the park and the actual flats come from the ground with projection changing. I think I actually went, oh, <laughs> because I just wasn't expecting that. And it's literally such an ace in the pocket that they held to the last moment of that ride. It's It sticks with me and it has, it, it has stuck with me. And the there's a musical cue that happens. It's like the them humming the, the main song. It's a magical moment. The like, tempo goes down a bit. It's It's great. It's so good. I actually... God, it's embarrassing to say that it made me a little emotional. <laughs> it really did. I loved it. Uh, yeah, uh, on to you. Uh, I'm just going to, I'll piggyback off. I think there's the song in general is. That's funny. Nothing can stop us now. I'll tell you how. We're going to make it happen. It is a song that I could imagine kids and adults alike humming throughout the day after they get off this ride. Last thing I have here is one of my favorite scenes in the entire ride, which is the Daisy Dancing Studio. One, two, three, one, two, three. Oh, excellent. You're all waltzing so beautifully together. That's a good one. Yeah, I mean, having it set to music so that you feel like you're dancing. I've had the pleasure of getting on this ride multiple times with people who have not been on the ride before, and this is always a hit. And it's just like so creative. Who thought of that scene? I haven't seen anything quite like that before either. It's, it's like they did not have to. Yeah, no, it really didn't have to. It's like a kind of a fun. It's like a because you're getting like kind of pounded over the head with like so much stuff happening yeah, that yeah. it's kind of like a midway point where it just kind of like it's like just a little a little like a little water break. They must have really talked about this ride for a long time because it does feel like okay, this is great. And then one person saying, you know what we could do to make it even better is adding this scene and then this scene. There were so many pluses, which is something that Walt was obviously a big proponent of. And you feel his spirit in this ride. I think that just about encapsulates it. That being said, let's move into some bad here. And I'm going to start because one of my bads is one of your goods. Bring it and on. And look, I just wrote, song, kind of low-key annoying. <laughs> oh, fuck off. Kind of is annoying. Nothing can stop us now. Does it upset you just how much it's repeated? It's repeated quite a bit, but it just upsets me that I don't enjoy Mickey's singing voice that much. It's kind of grating after a while, like, no one can stop me now. Oh, we're gonna make it happen. It is just after a while, I'm like, okay. You'd want a, a Goofy take. That's a good point. If other characters started singing yeah. it, like if Goofy started humming it, I'm all about it, but. You'd probably whistle it. <laughs> I do like the book ending. He sings it in the cartoon, in the pre-show room. You enter the cartoon world. He sings it as you exit the cartoon world. I just wish it was a little shorter and there wasn't as much of it throughout the ride. And you know what? I'm I, I'm now realizing maybe he's not even in the ride that much. I just don't like the song that much. <laughs> <laughs> we need to take a poll or something. I That's like fine. 
I'll 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 gladly. You're the first person I've heard that does not enjoy. That's this fine. Song. Look, man, I'll adapt the moniker of Scrooge here. Maybe I'm a sucker for like nostalgia and like getting that old cartoony. I'll know. settle for it's fine. It's just I don't enjoy it, and that's okay. I don't have to enjoy everything. I could I could be okay with everyone else enjoying it, and I'm in the very 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 small minority of people who do not enjoy this song. That's fine. Uh, let's move on to another bad here. Uh, do you want to? You looks like you have you're you're chomping at the bit. Yeah, I was going to mention, like, some of the projection mapping on the characters is still not quite there for me. Yeah. Especially, like, certain angles you look at Mickey and it just kind of looks like a long kind of, like, dong face. Is that is that <laughs> Did like, you just say a long dong face? When his face is profile and his, like, nose sticks, like... It, yeah, I get... I see what you're you saying. You know, like, there's just certain angles of that ride. A, I little, a little alarming that when you're looking at one of the most famous... Uh, innocent, honestly, faces of all time in Mickey Mouse, the first thing you're thinking of is like, huh, kind of looks like a penis. Yeah, I didn't want to go there. Maybe I'll cut it out, but... (laughs) (laughs) No, I think we got to keep that in. It it, it just, I I don't know. I want everyone to know that when they look at Mickey Mouse in this ride, Byron Marin is like, huh, Mickey Mouse has a dick nose. (laughs) You're enjoying this, aren't you? I'm enjoying it a little bit. You have more? Because I got a couple more here, too. Um, I'm going to go with this one's tough like this one's more of a this is more on hollywood studios version yeah um because once you experience the disneyland version it just it fits so much better into toontown than what looks like the chinese theater yes and the toontown version it basically feels like you're walking through a mickey mouse museum yes where they have all these like artifacts props for making mickey you know homages to old cartoons, even like a Jack and the Beanstalk kind of thing. All the really Prince, clever posters. Prince and the Popper kind of thing. Um, the, the, cons- al- the concession stand that looks like it's making popcorn there. One of the things I really enjoy about the queue in Toontown and Disneyland for this ride, as opposed to the one, as you mentioned, in Orlando, is that it does kind of treat it like a museum, but it also treats it like a museum as if this museum was set in the world of Mickey Mouse being a real dude. Like, they have a costume from, I think, like, Jack and the Beanstalk and a bunch of other Mickey Mouse films like that says, like, they have it on a Mickey mannequin. It's like, this is the costume worn by Mickey yeah, Mouse in this if, movie, which is an animated animated film. I think it's a very fun touch. Yeah, uh, as if he was, like, a live-action star. Could you imagine, though? This is the dumbest question. Could you imagine if Mickey Mouse was a real dude? That'd be crazy. A talking mouse? <laughs> You've been hanging out with Goofy quite a bit. <laughs> maybe. Maybe I hung out with Goofy before this podcast. Uh, but I do love all of the uh, punny posters. Sometimes puns piss me off, but I think they're really good in this ride. Um, a magical cue. And that actually leads me to the bad of, uh, I, th- I think this was your bad as well. I hate the cue at Orlando. Yeah, that think- was what, I-, I accidentally turned the bad into like just, you know, yeah. praising the good at the, uh, but yeah. Let's but- be honest. The cue in Orlando is cheeks. It's straight up cheeks. It's not good. In fact, I remember my most prevalent thought when I was in this queue in Orlando was, oh boy, I'm going to get COVID. Just because the room was really packed in, it's dense, there's not a lot to look at. All you can really look at is all the tourists, which they really cram in there. And I just remember thinking, huh, I'm probably going to get COVID. And you know what? I did get COVID. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it was from this ride, but I'd be willing to bet that it was. Yeah, it's just not as fun. It's clearly retrofitted. I think they could have put in a little more effort. Granted, they did not have the luxury that Disneyland had of building up from the ground. Uh, it's not even a competition. The Disneyland queue and overall presentation, the facade, 
the marquee. Everything is just better. I had no idea they had that much space. At Disneyland? There. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also did not realize they had that much space. At the time of this recording, they haven't put in whatever Pandora experience is going to come to Disneyland Resort, but it looks like they're going to find room for that, you know, assuming that it's not some sort of weird just walk-through attraction. Um, a couple of last uh, bads here. It's a real quick one here. I'm, I'm out on Chuby. I don't like him. I, <laughs> I think it's a pretty thinly veiled attempt to sell toys. Uh, for a new character, they're selling it as like we're trying to introduce this this you know very fun interactive new character. But in reality, they're trying to sell some plushies, right? I mean, that's that's until this podcast, I didn't know what the hell a Chuby was. I just thought it was. I'm just probably this casual selling bird more Chuby plushies now, based on telling you guys about Chuby than the ride itself. Congratulations, you've played yourself. I, oh my god, I have. <laughs> Last big bad here. I think about it every time I go on this ride. I don't know if you do too, Pluto. In the trunk of the car. What's going on with that? You know, it's funny because it registered to me like a little late. Like what I it, like registered me like the moment he pops out of the trunk. I'm like, wait, they had Pluto locked in that trunk the whole time. There's no air in that. Did he sneak in there accidentally? No, they, they just throw him in there. there. They throw him in the trunk like they're taking him to a secondary location to whack him. I just don't get why we're showing a cartoon to kids where you throw in a dog in a trunk. Don't put your dog in a trunk. What's going on with that? And then these two gallivanting around all of the world seemingly don't give a shit about their dog that's like trying to find them. That's the B story. I can't wait. To, I can't wait to find this or uh, to follow. Justice for Pluto is all I'm saying. And you know what? I'm going to say it right here. Mickey Mouse, kind of problematic. That's that's all I'm going to say. I've thrown it down. The Disney uh, bedrock yeah. <laughs> shattered I, I don't in this podcast. It. All right, that's enough of that. Let's move on to the main attraction, if you will, of this podcast. Of course, I'm talking about the world-class tests. This is a series of tests slash questions that Byron and I have carefully devised to determine if an attraction is world-class. There's 10 questions, and how it works is if this attraction passes 70% or more, it will automatically get a world-class pass. It will automatically be deemed a world-class attraction. However, if it gets 60% or more, we're in debate land. We can debate if this attraction is worthy of the world-class moniker. Anything lower than 60%, no world-class pass for you. I'm sorry. Uh, but before we get into this world-class test rubric, let's have a word from our sponsors. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice though, they really mean flavor. Like in your face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either, but it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice, anything but subtle. All right, we're back. It's time for the world-class tests, starting with test number one, the average tourist test. Would the average tourist have a hard time getting on this ride? Is there a long wait all the time? Is it a complicated queue system? I don't think an average tourist is going to have a hard time getting on this ride. Today. No, I, I I agree as well. You said that it's normally around, hovers around 40 to 50 minutes. I've seen it be that you know, anecdotally by myself when I'm in the park or with friends. I'll say this to anybody listening to this podcast, you do not need to pay the $20 to book an individual lightning lane for this ride. And and of course, maybe things will change 
once you hear this podcast, maybe they don't even, they do away with certain individual lightning lanes. But I'll say at this time, you don't need to do it. You could just wait the 40 minutes. Sometimes it even dips down to 30 minutes. Yeah, I might be shooting myself in the foot here for future rides, but yeah, go in the evening. It's It often drops down to 30 minutes or less. There's also a second rope drop for this ride. So basically the first rope drop is, you know, when the park opens. The second rope drop- Post fireworks. Is post fireworks. They close Toontown for the fireworks. And then once the fireworks are done, you could actually enter Toontown and it's gonna be no wait. So I think this is a pass with flying colors. One for one. Easy, but everyone gets to see Mickey. Let's move to the second test. This is the Leslie Stahl test. <laughs> Would you be willing to wait 60 minutes for this attraction? Easy yes for me. I would. Especially with the Disneyland version with as exciting as that queue is. I'll drop an hour on Mickey and Minnie. It's definitely worth it. I will say that, you know, if you're in the Disney World version, queue not as much to look at. Hey, throw on a podcast. Maybe this one. Uh, you know, a little plug for the podcast while we're in the podcast. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on. Oh, that's two for two. Moving on to the smartphone test. Does the queue of this ride have enough to keep you off your phone? I think it's an easy yes for Disneyland. Maybe not so much for Disney World. So I don't know how to play this one. That's the thing. I feel like Disney World, even as much as I want to bag on it compared to Disneyland's, is still like almost passable where Disneyland's is passed with flying colors that Correct. I think you just put it over the edge. And, and also the Disney World one still has the pre-show, which has the hole in the wall and then leads you to the in final loading zone. I think that alone keeps you off your smartphone. The Disneyland version, and this is what I was holding back on saying earlier, I actually have had the thought, and this does not happen to me that often in ride lines or ride queues, um, that we're moving a little too fast because I wanted to take There's in- so many cool things to read up on. Or... More details, all the beautiful plaques around saying what the props are from. It's all whimsical and fully immersive and just so well done. It invites you to- Wait 60 minutes over and over. Exactly. And, and and you know, I, I don't know if that's ever going to wear off because every time I do go on this ride, I do find something different in the queue, which is amazing. So I think this passes as well. Three for three. Three for three. Let's move to test four, the Tony Stark test. How innovative is this attraction? Does it push theme park tech forward? Yeah. Duh. Yeah. Yeah, I think it clearly does. The ride vehicles, I guess the ride vehicles aren't new tech. No, it's um like that this iteration of trackless dark rides, I think it was early 2000s was introduced in Tokyo for Pooh's Honey Hunt. Basically the oh, big difference is cuz there Disney's been playing with trackless dark rides for, you know, probably since like the 90s. Yeah. So like yeah. it's like Tower of Terror may have been the first, but that you're, was you're the ones you're, doing... re you're referring to the Florida version that goes through Exactly, the yeah. But that's led by a wire, which still for its time incredible. But the trackless dark rides you see today, starting with Pooh's Honey Hunt, went to Mystic Manor in Hong Kong, um, of course, Rise of the Resistance, Ratatouille, and now Mickey and Minnie, it uses uh Wi-Fi and basically small location Wi-Fi beacons to basically navigate the thing around. So there's no no longer a, a wire on the floor. But that did exist before this ride. So it's taking tech that was used before and elevating it, I would say, like especially in the Daisy Dancing Studio when you see it move to rhythm. I think that's an exciting way to implement technology that existed. But in terms of new tech, I suppose the moving flats 
to create kind of moving animated environments. Creating that that multi-plane effect. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think the way they use projection in this ride is pretty revolutionary. So absolutely, and then of course, as you mentioned, the the pre-show, uh, the you know entering through the screen. Yeah, like new tricks used there. I, I, this is the, this is the first trackless dark ride I could recall that actually starts with the train being completely together and creating the illusion yeah, that you're, you're right. just on a standard. You're right. I didn't even train. Think about that. In fact, I I recall that you you actually end in different order than when you began, which is crazy. Uh, that's also really novel. You, to like you know when you get on a ride and people are seeing you load into the ride, it's kind of funny when you come back, you're in a different spot than when they saw you last, if people are paying close attention, of course. Uh, so I think it passes that one as well. Four for four. Are we going to start off with a 10 for 10? All right. Hollywood test. Can this attraction be adapted for the silver screen? Does it have a comprehensible story? 1,000%. Yes, it does. Very easy to follow. There's a train. It's on the run. We got to get back under control so Mickey and Minnie could have their picnic. And hopefully treat their dog better. In terms of this being adapted for the silver screen, like this isn't like a Pirates where it could be a full-blown film, but it could be what it's intended to be, which is, you know, a little cartoon short. I think this would make a great cartoon short as just a short alone and no ride. Like I would watch a short film version of this. So I think in that sense, it is also a pass. It's a pass. I think that's mm -hmm. now five for five. Uh, the next test is the Simpson test. How likely is this ride to be replaced with something new? Uh, by the way, it's called the Simpson test because I do hope something replaces that. And the Simpsons replaced Back to the Future, as you all know. I feel like copyright infringement laws keep changing because of Mickey Mouse, so I don't think anyone messes with Mickey Mouse. I know. I would... I would be shocked if this ever got replaced with anything else. Yeah, do you think they're going to replace the the Disney World version with another ride? So that would be the second replacement reskin, if you will. Much more likely, still... Ah, uh, no. Much yeah. more likely because it's in Walt Disney World and it doesn't have a land built around it. Because in Disneyland, I'd be, yes. it'd be very hard to believe something would replace this in Toontown. Yeah, like, what else would fit better in Toontown? Yeah, Not, it's next nothing. to Mickey's fucking house yeah it, it definitely passes this test i don't you, you just can't mess with the mouse no i don't think anything's gonna replace it signature moment test can the ride hold its own without its signature moment is this ride a one trick pony there's too many signature moments here yeah there's a lot i mean you if you, you we already one... went through a couple of them daisy the dancing studio the finale scene that transforms before your eyes you get one before the ride even starts the pre-show pre-show and I like this test for that very reason, because it makes us examine the ride as a whole. Through this test, it illuminates how well-paced this ride is. Because, like you said, there is a signature moment almost every minute or so. Easily passes this test. That's 7 out of 10. It's already a world-class attraction. Let's see if we could go perfect score 10 for 10. And we have done a practice run, by the way, with another attraction, and it did not pass. This one already definitively has passed with a chance to go for 100%. We'll see. Moving on to the last three world-class tests to decide if this attraction is, in fact, perfect, I guess. Uh, but before we do that, let's hear a word from our sponsors. And we're back. It's the last three world-class tests. Can this attraction get a perfect 10 out of 10? Let's get into it. Test number eight. <laughs> 
the premature detraculation test. <laughs> <laughs> We're five years old here. Mickey Mouse has a dick nose, and we have a test called premature detraculation. Uh, does this ride... <laughs> does this ride finish too soon? Is it too short? Uh, no, it doesn't. I think it's the perfect length. No? You leave very satisfied. I, I think it's perfectly paced and perfect length. You know, because like it's one of those rides you go on and then you just forget about one of those scenes and you're like, oh yeah, this is in it. Exactly. And I re- had that experience when doing the research for this pod of just like, oh yeah, that's right. It has that moment. And then you factor in all the cue. I mean, there's no way you leave this wanting more. Uh, so it passes that one as well. Eight for eight. Let's go to test number nine, the exit hall test. Do you see people be physically excited getting off this ride? Do you have that bounce after this ride? And physically excited meaning like, are they like, are they laughing? Are they like high-fiving? Or are they just like smiling? When we first got off this ride, there was a lot of bounce amongst a lot of- you explain a lot of A lot of bounce? grown men bounce. Just like you actually, you are physically expressing your excitement and satisfaction for the experience. It's an energy that you take out of the attraction and into the rest of your you don't, day. You don't even feel those steps in the exit hall. You're just out of the, you're no, just talking you're, about the ride the floating. entire time. Everyone just can't wait to express to one another how much fun they had on this ride. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and amongst a group of 30 year old grown ass men <laughs> riding a Mickey Mouse attraction, many of whom were not big theme park people. And many of whom were not excited to get on the ride to begin with. Still had bounce. Clearly this is a pass. Yeah. We're this going is it. we're going for the 10. This is we're going for 10 now. We're going Wow. How what a way to start the podcast if the first ride is 10 for 10. The final test, test number 10, fine wine test. Has this attraction aged well? Has your opinion of the attraction appreciated or depreciated since your first experience? Or, if it's a new ride, do you believe it will age well? (laughs) (laughs) Just talking about this for the past 30 plus minutes, I want to be on that ride. Yeah, I I agree. I I want to get back. I want to see all the, the fun little tidbits you brought up. Of course, my appreciation continues to grow for this ride. Yeah, I... Oh boy. I I I'm going to play the devil's advocate here and maybe I slightly believe this myself. For drama? No, it is a ride that is heavily reliant on projection technology. I imagine and it's also a trackless dark ride which is going to become more and more prevalent throughout the theme park industry in 10 years when every theme park has one of these bad boys up their sleeve it might not hit as hard might not that being said but that means they have to have that they have to have a killer story up their sleeve i was just about a killer to say, ip yes as much as it is heavily reliant on tech that may become outdated i will say that where it will stand the test of time in my opinion is that the story is stellar the set pieces are incredible the transitions are really well done the pace is obviously great as we mentioned before and it has a, a titular character that is possibly unmatched when it comes to IP. Can't take down the mouse. No, I would I would agree with that as well. So I do think it is a pass. That does make it 10 for 10. Don't expect this every episode. No, uh, and, I'm a little surprised myself. You know, and we're not um, over here trying to, you know, carry water for Disney. That's not, that's not what this podcast is. 
we do want to actually judge these rides at face value. And I'm and I feel like we did that here today, and I'm I'm pretty shocked that it is a 10 for 10. It's a perfect score. It's a world-class attraction. Unanimous. Everyone always just leaves this ride and tells people it's just you you got more than what you came for. And I think with that, that concludes our first ep of For Your Amusement. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Can only go downhill from here. Perfect score. Yeah. <laughs> great way great way to start things off. I'm looking forward to talking about more attractions. I I am too, buddy. And oh, if you want to, you could follow us on social at FYA Pod on both Twitter and Instagram as well as Threads. And we also have our own personal socials. I'm at Ryan Espergara, and then Byron is. Ah oh, shit! Oh. You don't know <laughs> I, your own social? Hold on, let me. Re- <laughs> I, I use Instagram on Sunday. Oh, yeah. I use I use I use it on Sundays usually. No, yeah, at Byron A Marin. That's it. Great. Uh, well, mine's at That's Ryan it. S Bergara on Twitter and at Ryan Bergara yeah. on Instagram. There's an a Ryan Bergara at Ryan Bergara on Twitter who lives in the Philippines, and. I'll have to kill him one day. But anyways, follow us on those socials. And uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. It helps keep the show alive. And also, if you're listening to this on wherever you get podcasts, please subscribe to the podcast as well. Um, and 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 download it if you can. I don't, I don't know how this actually works because we're just starting out here. So thank you guys for listening. And we'll see you next time when we have another one cooked up next week. This is a weekly podcast. That's right. Nothing Every- can stop us now. Correct. On Tuesdays. Uh, see you guys later in the 1970s John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale he claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover first of all the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12 gauge pump shotgun Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.